Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Sorry, I was a bit hesitant there, Kieran. I was momentarily distracted by a little message saying actual recording sound is of higher quality. Not entirely sure what that means, but it, yeah. we're on this new uh, recording site, Kieran, where we can see each other, which is both lovely and also a bit disconcerting. How we, uh, Thank you for fitting us in, Kieran, with, with your busy schedule this week, <laughs> you, mate, I think between you and it's hard to tell between you and Romish Ranganathan. I'm not entirely sure who's on telly most. At the, at the moment. I, I think I'll put you up there with Romish Ranganathan's mum. You're at, you're at that level of, of celebrity information. Yeah, why you and I haven't been asked to do celebrity pointless yet, Kieran? I don't know off the back of. Well, I'm, I'm gutted because that that would be that would be a dream come true for me. Yes, we'll make that we'll make that happen, Kieran. It's um, you, you're at home, are you at the moment, or you, you're somewhere in the, in the ether? No, no, I'm, I'm at home. I've got the, uh, uh, I, I've got our book in the background, which have, which has now been on Sky, Sky News, yes. Sky Sports, Sky News, uh, Talk Sport, BBC, ITV. So hopefully the publishers are happy with me. I'm sure they are. We know they are, Kieran, as we saw one of them on on Thursday night last week. And and when we get to do, I think, uh, I think basically University Challenge is the other thing you haven't done. So that'll be your mascot when you're on. University challenge when the University of Liverpool get you on there. Um, uh, I've, have I introduced? Have I said who we are yet, Kieran, on this podcast? Did I say? I don't think you have. I didn't know. Yeah. So that's 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 how casual we're getting. Kieran. We're playing keepy uppy before we even start. So for the benefit of new people, hello and welcome to the Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. With me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. We we may get producer guy to edit that, Kieran. So we put that bit at the, at the front. Um, it's it's Newsday, Kieran. It, it it won't be a surprise to anyone that the fallout from the Everton deal, the Everton deal, the Everton punishment, uh, is still dominating the news. Um, as a catch up, Kieran, I, I want to put a couple of things to you, and then you can give us a general catch up at the end. Um, first of all, a lot of people pointing out that Everton's latest accounts are due. And they may also cover a period in which breaches took place. So if that is the case, what happens then? Is it is there a separate inquiry or is that would that already have been considered within this this panel's judgment? It could be a separate inquiry. Um Everton did sell Anthony Gordon uh for, for forty million pounds last season. Uh they had shifted 
a few big earners off the wage bill. So at present, I, I think it's it, it's a long shot. It's a bit of conjecture. Um, and hopefully the club is, is moving in the right direction um, with, re- with regards to getting its finances in order. So uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. But they, they won't publish the results until next March, if, if anything is to go by. I think that's, that's, a, that's actually a, a broader issue. Um, if the Premier League was concerned about Everton's finances, why didn't it insist that they were submitted earlier in the 22-23 season? You know, is, is, that a, is, is that a bit of casual approach by the Premier League? That, that was part of the reason why the, why the hearing didn't take place until October, because Everton, I believe they, they, they published them or they sent them to the Premier League on the 1st of March, which meant it was impossible to, to get a judgment uh, in 22-23, which provoked some of the reaction from other clubs. Well, on that issue, Kieran, there are people, journalists in particular, implying that the the Premier League had issued guidelines, shall we say, to Everton quite some time ago to indicate that they were possibly sleepwalking into this situation. We We don't know if that's true, but enough journalists have said that to indicate that it might well be. But the same journalists are also saying that if that is the case, why then did Everton continue to buy players? Because that wouldn't have been a sensible response to the Premier League saying you're you're possibly heading for a problem. Yeah, the, the optics don't look great with regards to that. And again, if, if anybody reads the Commission's report in detail, the Premier League was was saying, and, and there was constant communication, there was certainly a dialogue between the two parties. Um, the Premier League was saying to Everton, we, we think you're running really close to the limit. Um, it didn't, however, go as far as imposing a transfer embargo on Everton, which is perhaps the, the approach which we, we have seen quite regularly in the EFL. So could the Premier League have taken uh, a more militant position or, or a, a more controlling position. Yes, it could. It chose not to do that for reasons which we're unaware of. At the same time, I think some of Everton's dealings are best described as, as aspirational um, in terms of they said, well, we thought we'd get 80 million for the sale of Richarlison. And look, here's here's a slide, you know, which we showed at a board meeting where we said, oh, well, you know, we're going to ask for, for, for 80 million but you know an, anybody can put up a slide you know if I, if I stick up a slide saying I'm going to propose to Kylie doesn't mean that Kylie's going to marry me <laughs> so and that is part of Everton's fence and, and as for the market value of a player um again these things there is there, there is no guaranteed figure so again I've, I've said this on on many occasions when, when you look at successful clubs and you look at clubs where things have gone wrong it comes down always to the same three issues, same three issues: resources, opportunities, and executive decision making. Everton had the resources. Mashiri put the money in. He he put money in the form of shares. He's, it had the opportunities. Member of the Premier League. You know, it's a fantastic historic club with a with a you know big potential in terms of brand value. So why did it end up in that mess? I, again, I think you've got to focus on on the people at the top who who were making these decisions who 
I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it was complacency, arrogance, cluelessness. But for me, it's a tale of financial mismanagement, which is, and you know, setting aside the fact that it's a football club, this would be the type of thing that I would use as, as, you know, as, as somebody that teaches in management school. This is an example of how not to run a business. Um, and it, I don't think it reflects well on the people at the top. Did the club have some bad luck? Yes, it did. But a good business makes sure that it's able to to deal with bad luck. Um, and, and, that, and that happens at other clubs as well. You've got players who, who you sign and they turn out to be rubbish or they players you sign and they do their ACL in their first match and, and you have to write that. That is part of football. Hmm. You mentioned the EFL, Kieran. And by the way... Um... The Baroness is in a bad mood with you as it is with all the work you're doing. If you do have a slide saying, Kylie, will you marry me? I suggest you dispose of it as quickly as possible. You mentioned the EFL, Kieran. A lot of Everton fans quite rightly pointing out that the Premier League seemed to escalate this from naught to a 10-point deduction, whereas in the EFL, clubs like Reading, clubs like Wigan, there are plenty of steps that happened before. There are plenty of other punishments, other warnings before they went nuclear with a, a points deduction. Can you understand why Everton fans think that as an approach that the Premier League perhaps should have taken that perhaps if they had put a transfer embargo on two years ago, that might have focused the attention of the, the owners of the club? Yes. I mean, if, if we take a look at a club which did have a points deduction in relation to a breach of the the PSR, FFP has now I think, nationally become PS, in, in respect of the PSR rules, we had the case of Birmingham City, who were eventually given a nine-point deduction by the EFL commission. But they they were in special measures. They, they were um, under a lot more close, closely uh, monitored transfer uh, dealings than, than, than I think we've probably seen at Everton. And Birmingham went and signed a player when they when they shouldn't have. And, and they, to be fair, they self-reported themselves, which which mitigated actually part of their overall points deduction. So the EFL the EFL rules, I can see why they've been worded in the way that they have, in the sense that an independent commission can give any tariff can give any punishment that it chooses to do so so that gives you flexibility at the same time it gives no guidance to the clubs themselves and if if a club says well you know we thought we'd just get a fine you know it's it's a financial issue so therefore we thought we'd get a financial penalty you can understand why Everton are now so aggrieved with re, with regards to a a points deduction or also the the severity of the penalty Richard Masters did speak to the uh, to the commission and said, "Well, we're thinking of bringing in the following tariff, which would have been automatic six points plus um, one point per five million, which would have given a nine or ten point deduction, which so happens to coincide." The commission said, "We completely disregarded that because at the time that we were told to form, which was effectively last March." There was no such uh, ruling, so therefore we, we, you can't apply today's legislation to offences which occurred historically. But how they reach that ten points, I think, is is the, the area which uh, people are scratching their heads about. 
intuitively, it's a test case. It feels harsh, but that's just yeah, that's just a gut reaction. Um, I, th- I think it would help if the commission said this is the basis upon which we reach that that final uh, that final viewpoint. Again, Kieran, this is a complete conjecture, but this is a question I've been asked a lot uh, over the weekend. Um, you know, it's amazing how many football finance experts there are now in the uh, on Sky and on the radio and in, in in the tabloids and the broadsheets, and they seem split as to whether an appeal um, will change the outcome or not. But many people have asked me: Should an appeal uh, reduce? the points deduction, say to six or to four, to three, whatever, would the Premier League then be able to counter-appeal against that and say, no, they, they think 10 points is the appropriate deduction and that's what they want to push for it? In other words, would an appeal be the end of it? Yes, I think the appeal would be the end of it. Remember, this is an independent commission. So the Premier League itself can be unhappy with the ruling. Although we talk about the Premier League, remember the Premier League is ultimately, you know, it's a members club, it's got 20 members. Um, so everybody's acting in self-interest. Those clubs around Everton will be wanting a 10 or a 12-point deduction because it's in their interests. Other clubs will be fairly indifferent. Some clubs who themselves might be, who might be either subject to charges or potentially subject to charges will say, Actually, we'd rather it was reduced because it, that has potential implications for us going forwards. Um, if we take a look again, we're looking for precedent all the, all the time here. Sheffield Wednesday had a 12-point deduction that was reduced to six on appeal. So uh, it, it now comes down to the, the quality and the persuasiveness of the evidence that Everton put forward when the appeal is heard as to um, the extent, if any, of any potential points reduction in terms of the deduction, the initial tariff. Do we know how long it will take for the appeal to happen? Because a, a lot of the clubs, particularly the clubs in the relegation area, are pointing out it's quite difficult for them to, to plan tactics and strategy in terms of winning points if they don't know whether or not Everton are going to be amongst them or catapulted back up the table. Yeah, and also is is implications for the January transfer window. Absolutely, of course, for both yeah. Everton and other clubs. Of course, you know, yeah. Do do we do we need to take a gamble on this player? You know, that might be you know, might be impacted by where we are. But there, there's there's no white smoke coming out of uh, the Premier League or any of the parties. Remember, there were forty thousand documents submitted. I think it, you know, there's a case for saying it should perhaps be heard by the same people because at least they will have heard the evidence once and there but there's equally a case for saying well hold on you know they would be prejudiced because they'll be looking to back up their initial ruling so let's have an alternative uh, uh, commission put together because again they will be completely independent of the first judgment Mm. Um, the white smoke reference kids is a to the election of the Pope. That's smudge walking across the <laughs> See, that's See, that's smudge. smudge has been really upset with Finley getting all the attention. She's pulling focus. So she's, she's decided she would walk across the camera for no apparent reason. Uh, yes, so that's a reference to electing a new Pope because, as the, the play says, once a Catholic, Kieran, always a Catholic. Um, two things. Um, the Mayor of Liverpool has done exactly what the Mayor of Liverpool 
should do. He's waded into battle on behalf of, of Everton. Um, but he said something, he said many things, a lot of which I agree with, but he said something which is, there isn't much sympathy for Everton out there, and this is something that's not going to get more sympathy. He said that the panel should have taken into account the fact that Everton are a traditional club, a historical club, um, and also, <laughs> there you go, also don't sit on my notes, Smudge, because then people know I've got notes and that ruins the image of the podcast. Um, also said that Everton were founder members of the Premier League and that should have also been taken into account. I, I think of all the arguments a- against this points deduction, and there are many, I think those are the weakest, to be perfectly honest, Kieran. Yes, I'm, I'm not, not sure of the validity. Well, they're, they're, those comments are factually correct. I'm not sure how they can be uh, having an influence upon the judgment. You know, to say that a club, because they were founder members of the Premier League, should be treated more leniently than Brighton, Bournemouth, Palace, you know, and so on, because they've not always been in the Premier League, does seem to be an inconsistency to me. Um, but there's 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 lots of inconsistencies in in, the, in life. Yeah. One more question for me, Kieran, and then either we move on or I'll give you a couple of minutes to, to tell the stuff that I should have asked you. Um, uh, this is exercising Everton fans, I think, quite rightly, because it's been reported by the Times and the Mail, um, both of which I discover third-hand, by the way. I don't want people thinking I read the Times or the Mail. But it has been reported, and it seems to be the case, that the same panel that gave Everton a 10-point deduction will also decide the outcome of complaints from relegated clubs, clubs relegated in the past three seasons, um, which seems odd to me, but also, as many Everton fans are pointing out, one of the panel has historic links with Leeds, and Leeds are one of the clubs that will probably be complaining about suffering relegation instead of Everton. So I, I, I actually do, whereas with the Mayor of Liverpool, I, I understand where he's coming from, I don't agree. I really understand where Everton fans are coming from on this one, because it's a word you like to use, the optics don't look right on that for me, Kieran, I have to say. Yes, um, some some Everton fans have been doing a bit of sleuthing, I think is the appropriate word, um, and they've discovered that David Phillips, who was one of the, the three people on the commission, has previously acted for Leeds United. Um, this is in this was in two thousand and seven, where, where at the time Leeds were uh, on, on charges and in you know, in respect of a fifteen point penalty, um, and they say, well, if he's acted for Leeds historically. Does that mean that he will be lacking independence? I, I personally think that's harsh. And also, um, you know, we we've got friends who are involved in in sports law. They have acted for a number of clients, and when, when you're acting with a client, you act in in the best interest. It doesn't necessarily. And I, I know lawyers who are involved in criminal law who have had to defend people who have pleaded not guilty to the most heinous of crimes, and the lawyer has known that their client is is as guilty as can be, but they will still do what is best for the client, and they will set aside um, their personal views. So David Phillips QC was on the panel because he is a very experienced, very highly regarded King's counsel. Um, If you're going to say that anybody that was involved in any case or any historical work for any of those six clubs, I think the pool of people 
who could potentially have been on that panel would have been substantially reduced and also the the the, the, the quality of of their judgments would have not necessarily been any better worse or or, or equivalent um the, these people were appointed because they're good at their job and and it's similar to 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 referees you know Mike Dean was a was a Tranmere Rovers fan, um, and he was he was quite happy to admit that he was a Tranmere Rovers fan. I think Mike Oliver is a big Newcastle United fan. When, when you when you are a referee or, or when you're a judge, you should be able to set aside your your personal views and also your your historical representations. We we are in a we are in a society today where people working in the legislature are being criticised. They're being criticised by politicians. I think it's 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 decreasing the faith that people have in the legal process. You you look at Donald Trump in in America, any any of the judges where he has to deal with, and he goes off on one of his monologues. He will just accuse you know the 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 secret states of being involved. We've got a former Home Secretary who's had a sort of a, a Rottweiler approach to, to any rulings which were made in the courts. We, we should we should allow the judiciary to to operate. If there is evidence of bias, by all means, um, bring that into the public domain. But historical links, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I do expert witness work on some football disputes. Now, I, I keep that to myself, and I know other people that do similar, because it's because it doesn't impact you. You are doing a professional job, and when you finish that, yeah, we, we, you 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 take the Jimmy the Jimmy Carr approach. You 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 grin and bank it, and and it doesn't mean that you are for that client or against that client. You are there to give evidence as a professional. Yeah, sorry, I was paying attention there, Kieran. Even though I was organising a chair for Smudge to sit on, she wants to sit next to Daddy. The referee analogy is um, a, a good one, Kieran. So I think. Even when a referee makes a decision that goes against your club or you think is a terrible decision, you, you have to, in your heart of hearts, accept that A, the referee is there because they're good at their job and B, that the referee is 100% impartial. They might not be very good uh, in that particular game, but they are 100% impartial. You have to accept that, otherwise that way madness lies. And of course, when I say that, as ever, I exclude Mark Clattenburg, who uh, clearly went through life trying to relegate Palace at every uh, possible angle. And if he wants to challenge me on that legally, uh, I'll happily... Uh, you, you can be my expert witness on that, Kieran. That's all I have to say, Your Honour, on the subject of Everton. I don't know if you wish to sum up before we move on to our next story. There are other news stories, Kieran, it turns out, this week. Yeah, I, I think the only other issue which I think has now become into the public domain is that uh, those clubs that wish to put in some form of compensation claim have 28 days uh, following the pronouncement of the ruling to do so. Now, as Everton are appealing, I suspect that you'll have to wait now for the, the ruling of the uh, the second commission, and then, then it'll be 28 days from there. So that was one of the things, I think, which we, we didn't pick up on when we did the, the show on Monday. Okay. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Ballsmas from our friends over at Manscaped. The holidays are approaching, but what if I told you that the celebrations are starting early this year? 
It turns out the perfect gift does exist. And who else to bring it down your chimney than the leaders in below-the-waist grooming? Keep calm and let your balls jingle this season with Manscaped's brand-new performance package 5.0 Ultra. Unwrap the gift of smoothness this season with Manscaped. Included in this special sack is the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, the Weed Whacker 2.0 Ear and Nose Trimmer, and two free gifts. So if you want the area around your chimney nice and smooth this holiday, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holiday. Ho, 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 ho! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Let's move on then, Kieran. Um, it's not been a good week for Everton fans, but it's some good news for Newcastle fans in the last day or so. Yes, um, there was a meeting of Premier League executives in what I think uh, we would describe as a swanky hotel in uh, in in that there Mayfair in London, and <clears throat> there were a, a couple of votes taken with regards to related party activities. Um, now, there has been a lot of conjecture, um, and I, I suspect this was quite speculative, that Newcastle, it's well known that they were, A, now short of a midfield player following one of their players being suspended for 10 months, um, and B, they themselves are sailing fairly close to the financial limits, so therefore that would have had an impact upon their ability to, to trade in the January market. The people were saying, well, hold on, they, they can just go and pop across to Saudi Arabia and sign any of the players that they so desire. Um, a vote was held, and you have to have a two-thirds majority to change rules. And it it was effectively rejected. There were there were two votes. One was one was 12-8 in favour of a particular ruling, the other one was 13-7. Um, and this was to prevent transactions on, on a temporary basis between clubs which had 
sister clubs or related party clubs, however you want to describe them elsewhere in, in the football domain. Um, it was interesting that some of the clubs that voted against these rules, Newcastle did it, you can understand that, Manchester City, multi-club ownership model. Um, Burnley did it. People say, well, why did Burnley vote against this? Well, we know that ALK, their owners, are looking to have a multi-club model. Chelsea, conspiracy theorists saying, oh, I've seen a picture of Todd Bowley and uh, Amanda Staveley sat next to each other. They, they must be in cahoots. And, and uh, again, Todd Bowley has been doing some work in Saudi Arabia. Is, is there a link there? Um, there's no evidence to, to support that, but you know, people... Will will do, and th and then Sheffield United. Sheffield United are owned by a Saudi prince. Is he therefore under the influence of Mohammed bin Salman? This is this is sort of where we are now as far as football is concerned. But the the good news um, from Newcastle's position, and, and also in respect of Manchester City, and also in respect of uh, other clubs that are involved in multi club ownership models, is that you can now sign players in the January window. Um, there's broader issues going forwards in terms of sponsorship deals and so on. So that was one of the votes that took place at this uh, at this meeting of executives. I think the vote that didn't take place has probably more far reach, far reaching, no, far reaching <laughs> even. Far reaching is something completely different. Um, far reaching uh, consequences. And this is the, the Premier League, and they, they've described it as the New Deal. Um, now, I, I think that's an insult to, to Roosevelt. Uh, the, the New Deal was a, a very uh, significant economic programme introduced, admittedly, nearly a, a century ago. This is, a, this is an act of self-interest by, by Premier League clubs. Um, this was to give additional money two clubs in the EFL. And, and the reason why this deal is taking place is because the alternative is for the, the, the ruling to be made by the independent regulator, assuming that it takes place. So the Premier League, it, it, the Premier League wouldn't be having this new deal were it not for the threat of the regulator. Um, the issue is who should pay for the additional money which is being transferred across to the clubs in the EFL. Now, the the sneaky six, the, the Super League six, however you want to describe them, they say, well, you know, it's £140 million, that's £7 million per club, let's split it evenly. Um, and then you've got the likes of Steve Parrish saying, well, hold on, on a percentage basis, it means that the smaller clubs are having to make a greater sacrifice. He's also pointed out that um, that those clubs that qualify for the Champions League and Europa League and so on, they keep 100% of their money. None of that drips down to other clubs and therefore it's going to accentuate the already significant gaps that exist uh, between the elite and the, you know, the, the middle classes of the Premier League. So no vote was taken. I think it's because... There are ongoing decisions or ongoing negotiations taking place on in WhatsApp groups and so on. Um, but the outcome of that, I think, will be significant in the sense of whatever it is will indicate where power lies. Power had very much shifted towards the big six clubs 
in recent years because they were using the Super League as a stick with which to beat the other clubs. They'll say, right, if if we don't get what we want, and when Leicester won the Premier League, the reaction of the big six was, right, we want some more of the TV money. We don't want want to see another Leicester ever, ever, ever again. And they did that by by gaming the, 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 the TV distribution rights. So I think that will be indicative of whether you know, these sovereign wealth funds, billion, billionaires who never attend matches and so on, whether they are going to have control of the Premier League or whether it's going to be more democratised. So we've had mention of papal elections and Roosevelt so far on this pod. I'm going to add to our list of unlikely references by throwing in Leslie Phillips and Swiss Tony. Because if I was Amanda Staveley and I saw Todd Bowley heading towards my chair, both of those names would be what goes because he, he looks like the sort of chap who would sit down next to a woman and go, Hello, would you like a lift home in my new car? He's got that he's got that sort of cad look about him, hasn't he? Um <laughs> one of the stories we've spoken about a great deal, Kieran, on and off, and it's still something that agitates football fans, especially in London, um, is the West Ham Stadium. Um, And it looks like it's finally going to get a name or a sponsor's name. Uh, Will West Ham benefit from this? Potentially, they will. Um, It looks now as if there are two potential uh, organisations who could have their their name on the the London Stadium, the Olympic Stadium, whatever you want to call it. Um, They are Alliance, who currently, we've got the Alliance Stadium in in Bayern Munich. They've got got, uh, Juventus and Nice. Um, And then there's another organisation, which is a ticket organisation, which uh, is called Stagefront. They've they've got naming rights, I think, at Espanyol. Under the terms of the the license, the agreement, the the rental arrangement between West Ham and E20, who are the landlords, E20 will keep the first four million pounds of any deal and the remainder will be split 50-50. Now, there was an attempt by Vodafone to have naming rights at the stadium around about five or six years ago. That didn't get anywhere in the end. It, it was valued at 20 million pounds. So if we get another £20 million deal, that, that might cover a, a quite a few years, then you know, West Ham would benefit of you know, 50% of £16 million. That would be That would be £8 million. They're currently paying just over £3 million a year rent on a stadium, which cost £700 million to build and then £400 million to convert into a, uh, in, into a football-friendly stadium. So... I still think they will be significant beneficiaries um, from this. So, in other words, they're five million pounds. So that deal would be paying their rent for three years, essentially, and adding yeah. five million quid a year. Yeah, that's no wonder London football fans are annoyed about this. Just, just to clarify, though, Keir, any any negotiation about naming rights will be done with E Twenty, the owners of the stadium, not with West Ham, I presume. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Uh, it, it's it. Because it's the owners of the stadium who have the right the rights. Um, the reason why West Ham are beneficiaries, it's because West Ham increased the profile of the stadium. Okay. And therefore, yeah, they uh, right. they're entitled to a share of the proceeds. I see. Now, at every live gig we've done, Kieran, um, so far, we've been asked 
several times this well, not this question but a question about women's football um uh, essentially we get asked is is it too late to impose a fair deal and women's football an, an economic distributive model that we don't see in men's football and the jury's out on that but this next story in, indicates that possibly the answer to that might be yes well yeah um it, it's a funny one there was a proposal made that the commercial rights of the WSL and the championship, uh, the, uh, the top two divisions in women's football, as, as far as England are concerned, that there would be a 75-25 split. Um, that's broadly where we are at present in terms of the TV deal. But there would also be a new company set up um, to administer the league and that would have £15 million worth of funding, probably from the FA, possibly from the Premier League. Um, I don't think it's going to go down the private equity route at present. My view, that's a relief. Private equity has got no interest in football. Private equity has got an interest in making money. Um, but that proposal was overwhelmingly rejected by clubs in the championship. And the reason for that was it wasn't just a 75-25 split. There were strings attached, and those strings were quite thick ones. Um, it would have meant that the clubs in the second division would have practically no voting rights with regards to the development of the women's game going forwards, and therefore power would be concentrated in the hands of the dominant clubs in uh, in the WSL. Now, there's no doubt that you know, we, we, we saw the, the Manchester Derby at the weekend, you know, a record crowd at, at Old Trafford for women's game, well over 40,000. Um, we've seen Arsenal get regular large crowds when they played at the, uh, at the Emirates and so on. So there's certainly more interest in the women's game. It's attracting a, a different demographic. It's attracting a demographic who are, who are willing to, to pay to watch. Um, do that? Do the owners of those clubs give a hoot about Lewis and Durham and Charlton who are in the championship? No, they don't. And therefore, they want to make sure that those clubs are effectively uh, excluded from the decision-making process in the women's game. What could be the, the repercussions of this? It could mean that the WSL will say, well, we've given you an offer. You've rejected it we're going to play down our own end of the street and we'll have our separate deal and we'll keep all of the money from that and you can go and function by yourselves. I don't think that's ideal for the the women's development of the game. We've had the initial report from the, the Karen Carney committee and I think one of the, the issues that was raised there was the fear that we'd end up with the equivalent of the Premier League, i.e., the same old faces winning the same old trophies um, and the women's game because it's in a development phrase if you're supporting Reading, Birmingham, Brighton whoever it's going to be trying to build up a fan base if you're getting regularly turned over significantly you know you and I we will go and watch Brighton or Palace if we've seen if regardless you know if we've lost the last half a dozen games four or five nil you still turn up. You don't know why you're doing it, but you do it. I don't think the women's game is in that position 
in yet in in terms of the the degree of uh loyalty is not the, the right word addiction yeah that that's that's our relationship with our football club it's an it's an addictive relationship and the the women's games in more of a nurturing position with regards to trying to build up a a fan base, not just for those big clubs. And what Chelsea and Manchester United and Arsenal have done in getting some of these crowds, absolutely fantastic. Should never be taken away from them. But there is a broader responsibility towards the development of the game as a whole. What, that's why this news is, is, is so depressing, Kieran, considering that the last few stories we've covered in women's football have been, in general, very positive. Huge investment um, in America, the broadcasting deal, the FA upping the, the prize money for the Women's FA Cup. And like you say, the, the top clubs need to realise, Kieran, that without a grassroots feeding into them, then it's not a pyramid. It's as mm. simple as that. People love, you know, people around the world look with envy, so Sky tell us, at the, at the, the English pyramid. But people are very proud of the English pyramid because it does allow, it decreasingly rare, or increasingly rarely, it does allow smaller clubs to climb that. And and if you prevent that happening in the women's game, I think that long-term, that's a terrible mistake. Now, <laughs> sometime today, Kieran, you will you will tweet our, our list of subjects for tomorrow, which means that sometime today, Scumfort fans will go, oh, no, Jesus, really. But this might be, Kieran, this might be good news, possibly good news for Scumfort fans. I think this is potentially very good news. Um, it's in respect of Glanford Park, their their home where they where they play matches. Um, when the two owners ago, Peter Swan, when he sold the club to David Hilton for three pounds, that was the football club, but not the stadium itself. There was concern in respect of the new owners. How was Peter Swan going to react now? My view of Peter Swan, and it's a personal one, you know, I've always said if you look at owners, I, I put owners into, into two categories, idiots and scumbags. And I don't think Peter Swan was a scumbag. He he did actually put a lot of money into the club. You can question how how well that money was spent, but that's a separate issue. Um, but it now looks as if he has exchanged contracts with the new owners of the football club, which gives them certainty, it gives them protection, it gives them the opportunity to develop Glanford Park. Um, and they're hoping for completion, ideally, within the end of the month, which which is absolutely fantastic because they've only taken over the club um, a few weeks ago. And, and it can show that the, the property system in the UK can work, um, unlike my apartment in Liverpool, which uh, an offer accepted in April, and I'm still waiting for uh, it to be signed off that it's not going to go up in flames. But uh, the government brought in new legislation, which is fair enough. They didn't appoint any inspectors to be able to say that new properties have uh, you know, don't have issues with cladding. Uh, we, we, you know, no, nobody wants a, a tragedy along the lines of Grenfell. But as a as a potential owner of a property. I ain't going to buy it. You know, the estate agent said, "We, well, you, you, you can buy it without without the certificate." Okay, nah, I think I'll give that one a pass if you don't mind. Um, you know, it's a bit like getting on an aircraft which hasn't passed its airworthiness test. Oh, I'm sort of yeah, one hundred thirty nine thousand feet. I want to have a degree of uh, of comfort. So, um, it's I think it's a positive step. Um, there are some other issues in respect of Scunthorpe which we are looking at at present. 
um, and we hope to cover those uh, at a future date, but we're, we're just doing some more research into those. I, I can't imagine any airline, Kieran, that would be low budget enough to make an announcement as you're about to put, put your seatbelts on, put your tables up, and by the way, we haven't got a ticket of airworthiness. Carry well, on you, you want. You, you've never flown with Aero Peru. I have never um, flown with Aero Peru. You're quite right. Right. Well, um, in 1989... Oh, that was, um, old. That was old Aero Peru, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'd, I'd flown to Peru because um, I, was, uh, I, I, was in search, I was in search of the giant river otter. <laughs> Um, in, in the Manu National Reserve. And did it turn out, so I, did it turn got, out to be a bear in a little red hat? <laughs> I, I got to see I got to see a mother and six cubs. I was absolutely oh. delighted. Um, so I flew from uh, uh, Lima to Cusco, oh, yeah. which is sort of uh, one, one of the cities um, with regards to um, being able to go to, to where the, the giant river otters lived. And um, I, I got on the flight, and uh, South America is wonderful. It is slightly nuts. You know, there, there were genuinely people there with chickens in cages <laughs> and so on. Um, and I'm looking at the aircraft, and Cusco's very high, and it's in the mountains, and it's a very steep takeoff and landing. So I'm, I'm fully aware of that. I've, you know, I've done my research. Um, and the pilot got onto the aircraft wearing a parachute. <laughs> Now, when that happens, you get twitchy, Kevin. You go, Jesus, I've got a seatbelt. He's got a parachute. What's going on here? That's very funny. Uh, (laughs) That's very funny. Um, Yeah, this is probably the least controversial thing I've ever said on this podcast, but I love otters. <laughs> I, 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 I love. How can I, otters are like little swimming cats, aren't they? I love them. Yeah, oh, they're, they're wonderful, yeah. absolutely wonderful. How, how big does the giant river otter go? Oh, it's, it's probably about four foot. It's, it's, it's huge. Wow. So we went out um, with some with some local people. We were on a raft, um, and we just went. We went very quiet because they they are quite protected and they are an endangered species. Yeah, and we saw a mother and. That mother and some cubs just just being otters otters are this you watch them and you go oh yeah you, you, you get to overtaken but by the full david attenborough in fact, yeah. when we were in the when we were in the jungle we we bumped in some to some people who were doing some filming for one of david attenborough's wow. you know early uh, programs um and i got nothing for admiration that yeah that they'd been there for six weeks and they were being bitten to to hell and back by by midges and so on i'm quite lucky that midges don't like me really? um which was which was oh yeah it's it's which is very beneficial um when 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 you're in the jungle this is taking a strange turn this <laughs> this podcast Kieran. um I'd... yeah when, when, when they're playing price of football bingo i don't think they'll have had <laughs> some of those references uh, and much as i love otters i would pay good money to see a, a film of an otter being hit on the top of the head by a parachute falling out of a plane. <laughs> well, Peru is a very beautiful country. Let's let's go to another very beautiful country, Kieran, and, and like a, a torrent of clear spring water from a highland stream. 
um, picking up pebbles and carrying them down. There's been uh, several Scottish clubs. I don't, don't, don't analyse that analogy. It doesn't work particularly well if you pick it apart. But several Scottish clubs have published their latest accounts in the last few days. Kieran, anything um, interesting in them and any particular reason, timing-wise, why so many Scottish clubs have published their accounts this week? Well, I'm not sure why they, they have come out. You know, it could be that the international break was seen as an opportunity. Um, but the fact that a third of the clubs in the SPFL have managed to get results out and yet only two clubs in the Premier League. Mm. You know, I think accountants south of Hadrian's Wall are capable of putting a shift in. So, <laughs> so why is there this constant delay um, from English clubs? Why the brinkmanship yeah. that we see so often? Um, but as, as far as the clubs are concerned, and they're all, they're all you know, significant senior clubs, uh, first of all, we've got Rangers. Rangers, Rangers were in the Premier League. Sorry, Rangers were in the Champions League last season. They they earned a lot of it. Additional money for that. Their performances weren't good. Nobody's denying it. But they still managed to lose um, three million pounds, and um, that that isn't great. It is is a cause for concern uh, to a certain. And those losses would have been significantly higher. Um, those losses would have been significantly higher had it not been for the fact that they sold uh, Bassey and, and I think another player and they made profits of £20 million. At the same time, part of the reason for those those losses was that their wage bill went shooting up. It was actually higher than that of Celtic. Um, the reason why the wages bill was so high was that they paid significant bonuses to, to players for getting to the Champions League. So all of the focus when clubs get to the Champions Leagues is the extra money coming in. What tends to be forgotten is the extra money going out. And I think they also had to go and pay some add-on fees to other clubs who, when they'd signed players, again, for qualifying for the Champions League, they paid compensation to QPR for Michael Beale. That relationship didn't work out. Um, so the results aren't, aren't great. Uh, I think Celtic fans are... Uh, getting quite excited that Rangers have lost money. You know, it was it was three million pounds pre-tax. You know, compared to we've just seen Plymouth publish their results in in the third tier of English football, who got promoted and, and they lost the same amount. We'll, we'll take a look at those in more depth on another show. Aberdeen, again, big club. Um, they they did make a profit again. It was all down to player sales. Um, they would have made losses of around about six million had it not been for player sales. Their income was up. Um, they seem to be getting you know, decent crowds. I think you can sort of benchmark a club like Aberdeen in terms of of its revenue streams. Quite quite similar to sort of, you know a a, a well tiered uh, championship club. And then finally we've got Hearts. Um, they they did manage to break even. Um, so it sh- it shows that there's no necessity to delay the publication of the results and, and going back to the the not not using Everton as, as, as a pure example but I see no reason why clubs can't produce their results by the 1st of December or the 31st of December and that would allow the Premier League or the EFL I know that they've actually tightened up the rules to to then assess the clubs with regards to having in-season analysis and commissions if they feel that the results have been um, uh, have been exceeded. 
so so why there's no sort of general rule for getting that data out is is beyond me yeah the fact that we can see each other kieran now gives me more glimpses into how professional you actually are at doing this job because uh, careful listeners may have heard finley barking there which indicates that somebody was coming in and clearly somebody came in because you gave a little wave and you managed to turn, you said wages being significantly higher, you turned that higher into a higher. So you, you, you both, <laughs> you said higher, you waved at someone who they think, oh, Kieran's very friendly. You just went, oh, that's very, very clever. Um, this next story, Kieran, I don't really know what to make of it. And I, I don't particularly want to spend too much time talking about it, really. But it involves Benjamin Mendy and Manchester City. Yes, um, Benjamin Mendy has put in a claim, uh, an employment uh, tribunal claim, for unauthorised deductions in respect of his employment with Manchester City Football Club. Now, Benjamin Mendy was on trial for uh, an unpleasant uh, case. He was found not guilty by, by a jury. Um, and he is now playing in France because his contract with Manchester City uh, expired. He cost Manchester City fifty-two million pounds. You know, it was a, it was a significant uh, wage cost. Um, and there will be parallels. There will be parallels with Mason Greenwood. I think there are broad parallels with the accusations made against him. Manchester United did pay Mason Greenwood's wages during the period under which he was under investigation. Manchester City have chosen not to do so. Um, our, our friend Nick DeMarco is representing uh, Benjamin Mendy. And you know, going back to you know, what we were discussing, you know, you know, as, as a lawyer, you've, you've got the cab ruling and, and you take what comes up next. Um, I think it's, it's interesting... Will the will the Greenwood position be used as a as part of Mendy's case? Yes. How will Manchester City respond? Well, they will say as part of the bail conditions. I believe that Benjamin Mendy wasn't able to to go to Manchester, so therefore was he prevented from carrying a shock? Now, what the ultimate. Uh, Ruling will be on this. We don't know, of course. Yeah, we, we don't see the evidence. And uh, but the numbers involved, we are talking many, many millions of pounds because he was uh, he was unpaid for a significant period of time. Now, I'm, as far as I'm aware, Kieran, there is no statute of limitations on historic uh, breaches. Um, this may or may not be a breach, but it's it's a big story that's broken in the last couple of days about a move by Jermaine Defoe in 2008. Yes, so this was uh, this was uh, brought to our attention by by Matt Lawton. He he broke this story in the Times. Um Jermaine Defoe moved from Spurs to Portsmouth in I think it was 2007 for around about 7 and a half million pounds. Um he was originally uh, represented by Sky Andrew as his agent, who would have been in, therefore entitled to, to a commission um, in respect of the transfer. But players are allowed to represent themselves. 
And in this particular case, Jermaine DeVoe says, well, I've negotiated the transfer from Spurs to Portsmouth myself. I'm therefore not using an agent. Um, Sky Andrew says, I don't think that that is the case. And started to uh, issue some sort of investigation. And it turned out that um, Mitchell Thomas, uh, people might remember him going back a fair while, uh, used, used to be a fullback, wasn't he, for West Ham and Spurs. Um, he said, well, well, I had nothing to do with it, but subsequent investigation of phone records looked as if he acted as some form of intermediary. He was an unlicensed person, and under Premier League rules, um, unlicensed agents cannot act on transfers. There was also somebody called Stuart Peters, who appears to have earned £1 million in respect of this deal, um, acting on behalf of Spurs, but he didn't have what's referred to as a representation contract. And you need a representation contract in order to, to be involved in a transfer. So it's all it's all very messy. And it was sorted out in a private tribunal. So it didn't go to the FA. Now, the FA is now saying, well, we weren't aware of this information, so we took things no further. We now enter, going back to what we were saying earlier in, in respect of some of the, the previous topics, um, there was a gentleman who was head of financial regulation at the Football Association who, three months after the verdict, went to work for Portsmouth. Now, that could be completely independent, but you can see people are putting two and two together and saying, well, does that mean he chose not to uh, investigate further because it was in his interest to do so in respect of the club he was going to join? Um, and you know, clearly that, that would be a slur on his professionalism and we're making no such accusation, but it's, it's a small industry football and you can understand why uh, some people might be unhappy with regards to this. And people say, well, we, we, so what? Well, the, the, the so what is that, that Luton had a points deduction for, for in respect of agents' issues. Um, if we take a look at uh, Cellini, the, the former owner of Leeds United, he was banned from football for agent-related issues. Other people at Leeds had to go on a, uh, on, on a rules awareness course and so on. So it doesn't look, you know, doesn't look particularly good. Jermaine Defoe, he's saying nothing. Portsmouth are saying nothing. Spurs are saying nothing. The only person that's talking to the press, and this will come as a great surprise to you, is Harry Redknapp. <laughs> and he was quite happy to give us give a story uh, involving Jermaine Defoe's mum to the Times. Yeah, nothing to do with the day of deal, but you know you always have, always guarantee a Harry quote. Yeah, the the only problem with the Harry quote is you have to go down to his car because he can only really give a quote if he's leaning out of the car window. So I was a, it was always my favourite bit of transfer deadline day when they stopped Harry Redknapp's car. I always suggested he should get, I told him once, you should get a left-hand drive. That would really confuse him. Um, <laughs> a, a, a million pounds, Kieran, seems a lot to make on a seven million pound transfer. Um, and I'm not implying that there's anything wrong with that. But th- th- does the fact that this happened 15 years ago mean that it's unlikely to be investigated? Further, or you know, will the FA think if we investigate that, we've got a lot of cans of worms in the fifteen years since to maybe look at? I think if the FA did look at the case fifteen years ago, 
And on the basis of the evidence that was given to them at the time, they decided to take things no further, and by all accounts they didn't, then further evidence could warrant um, an obligation of them as, as the guardians of the game to uh, take a look at this with uh, perhaps a bit more of a forensic uh, application. So I think that there is a case for them. The statute of limitations issue is is, is an irrelevance. Uh, you know, um, it, an offence is an offence unless there's a specific rule which says that there's a cut-off period. We have three more stories to go, Kieran, and I'm... <laughs> I, I... It's wrong of me, but I, I admit that this first story did bring a smile to my face, knowing, as we do, one of the people involved in it. Um, Accrington Stanley owner Andy Holt uh, is never one to walk away from an argument when it involves his club, Kieran. And now um, it says he, he's gone to war with a... Uh, basically, he's gone to war with a, a, a town in North Wales, with Wales, with Disney, with... Basically, he's got the right hump with Wrexham. I think right hump is a perfect way of describing Andy's mood. Um, Accrington were hosting Wrexham on Saturday, and it's normally £20 to watch a match at the Wham Stadium, or an away fan, Um, and they put up the prices by £5. Now, they've done that for a couple of other uh, matches as well. Now, Andy's justification is that the police say we need more officers there and therefore our costs as a club have increased and we're passing on those costs to the away team. Wrexham responded, and I think they did this on the morning of the game, and I think this is why Andy's uh, Andy's blood pressure went into the red. Um, And it's... I think it's best described as a bit of shousery, I think is the official word that uh, producer Guy will allow us to say on the show. Um, on the morning of the game, Rackham said, well, we're not particularly happy about this. So what we're going to do is that we're going to reduce the price of tickets for Accrington fans by £5 when the match takes place at the race course. Um, and mischievous. But what it did was it... It mobilised the Wrexham fan base to feel that they were being taken advantage of by Accrington. Andy was defensive of his position, saying, I've got extra costs. If Wrexham had agreed to go and pay for these extra policing costs, I could have charged you probably 20 quid. So, um, and again, we then moved to seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon in the sense that Andy says... Wrexham are also making an awful lot of money from this match because they stream, uh, they're able to stream the match and they keep 100% of the proceeds in respect of a deal which was negotiated by Sean Harvey, who was then the head of the EFL and is now the special advisor to to Wrexham. Um, Does that mean that there's a conflict of interest there? And this, this is where we are, I think, in respect of many things in in modern football, um, I'm I'm not Sean Harvey's biggest fan. Uh, I think it's it's fairly well known because I uh, I did set up the Sean Harvey appreciation thread on Twitter <laughs> a few years ago, listing some of his um, broader achievements, um, and I managed to get the word the hashtag chat. Uh, trending <laughs> on Twitter for the could, it could, could have been the Sean Harvey information thread so it could have been a lot worse 
Um, but I, I personally don't feel that he was that Machiavellian um, with regards to it. So, yeah, Andy's got the hump with Wrexham, and judging by social media, Wrexham fans have got the hump with Andy. Well, he'll also have the hump with the behaviour of some Wrexham fans at the game because I think it was about 12 minutes added on because of delays with objects being thrown on the pitch from the away end. I, I, I do fear for Andy Holt's blood pressure, Kieran, as you say, but I really admire the fact that he will take on any club. If he thinks a bigger club is trying to take advantage or take the piss, as he puts it, out of his club, which is one of the smaller clubs in the pyramid, he will stand up to them. And I, I like that about him, to be perfectly honest. Um, as, more uh, US investment in Leeds United, Kieran? Yes. Uh, Leeds were acquired by the 49ers investment arm a few months ago uh, in a deal. I think it was valued at around about £170 million. But I think it's fair to say, you know, Ellen Road, fantastic stadium, very atmospheric, you know, very hostile stadium, as we know from going there. Um, it's looking a bit dated and significant investment is probably required. So what the 49ers have done is that they've gone to uh, an American investment house called Ackley Partners. Now, um, my reservations in all of these things are, do Ackley Partners care about football or do they care about money? And my gut reaction is probably more of the latter. Um, so where does this leave us? It's only a minority share. By all accounts, the 49ers are looking for, for further minority shareholder investments in Leeds, which could potentially involve additional money being put into the pot, which will allow for the CapEx to expand the stadium. There's no there's no reason why Leeds can't play in front of you know, 50, 55, 60,000 a week. It's, it's, we know that it's that size of club. If Newcastle can play in front of 60,000, yeah, then Leeds can certainly do the same. Um, but it needs it needs money to fund that. So th that's where we are. Um, but I think it's further evidence, American investors love English football. Mm. It, it, it's no secret, Kieran, our last story. It, it's no secret that you and I love a football kit, a football shirt in particular. You and I are buggers for a football shirt, Kieran, especially historical ones. And, and I like to think if, if a shirt that Rashid Harkook wore to score against Wrexham in 77 came up for auction, or the shirt that Barry Silkman wore to score against Hereford, one of my favourite Palace goals, we, I, I might put a cheeky bid in, up to a maximum of 50 quid, say. But this particular auction, uh, I think even you, Kieran, I think even producer Guy might be priced out of this particular auction. Yes. Um, Lionel Messi is putting up six of his shirts from the Qatar 22 World Cup, um, up for sale at Sotheby's. It's uh, they're going to be auctioned over the course of the next three to four weeks, and they're estimated, I think, together to be aiming to get around about eight to ten million. Um, which wow, for something which was less than a year's old and only cost twelve pounds to make, is uh, quite a, quite a step up. Um, you'd be thinking to yourself, well. He probably doesn't need the money. Is he going to give all of the proceeds to a fantastic cause? And uh, yeah, I'm very much team Messi as opposed to team team Cristiano Ronaldo when it comes to the greatest player in the world at present. But um, some of the proceeds, and we don't know how much, are going to a hospital in Barcelona which specialises in uh, in rare diseases in children. I hope that 
that proportion is a significant one because uh, Lionel Messi, fantastic footballer. He's been amply rewarded by the game. Um, if the more money that goes to a good cause, the better. I, I read a brilliant article recently. Um, uh, my memory is such. I can't remember if it's in Bilbao or Madrid, but this chap who's been collecting historic football shirts his whole life has opened a, a museum of historic football shirts with shirts dating back to the uh, the late 19th century and onwards and got Bobby Charlton shirts and Pelé shirts and shirts from all over the world. So that's definitely on our list. Of t- it's, we, we'll get a live uh, price of football in either Bilbao or Madrid. Uh, and the unlikely event that anyone's listening linked to the museum, if they want to do an interview in return for free flights and visits to the museum, we will do that, Kieran. We're not we normally good at yep. we're, we're not normally good at that sort of thing, but we'll do that. Thank you to everyone who has donated to the pod via our Patreon page. It's very kind of you, and if you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution, and it is small as well, uh, but also gets you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, then you can do so by going to Patreon.com/slash/PriceOfFootball. And our next Discord session for our ultras will be on Tuesday, the twenty eighth of November at seven thirty p.m., which is uh, next week. Of course, it's Christmas is coming. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Kieran and I will be in Hastings in December for an event for East Sussex Libraries. It's on Wednesday the 13th, and we'll talk about our new book and discuss a few pressing football finance matters for good measure too, and give you some gossip, general chit-chat, maybe arrange some flowers for you, who knows, mark some exams, who knows. And it says there'll be a chance to meet us both and grab a copy of the book, which we might even sign for you. Uh, We will definitely sign it for you. Tickets are free, but are very limited. So if any of you fancy a night out in Hastings for the most exciting thing to happen down there for 967 years, Click the link in the show notes and register for your ticket. And if you'd like to buy our latest book or one of our other books, get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt. You can find details on our website, priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our regular questions pod. We'll catch up with all those questions we couldn't do because we did the emergency Everton one this week. Um, In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, Thank you for all the support. And also, thank you for all the kind words that we've had with regards to the uh, the Everton special show. We we did put a lot of work into it, uh, made sure we asked the right questions and we, we tried to think it through. And we tried to be neutral and objective and as comprehensive as possible. And, and the feedback from journalists, we've given some feedback from lawyers, has been uh, it's been quite, quite humbling. Um, there's, there's plenty of ways to support the show, one of which is to give us a review. could give us a review for the book if you've read it. Um, you could give us a review for the podcast. Go onto your app. Um, say whatever you think. By all accounts, it doesn't matter uh, as far as Apple's algorithms and Spotify's algorithms. So you could even show, and I think this would be an absolutely ding-dong show, you could <laughs> even say you would rather have the show presented by Leslie Phillips and Swiss Tony. It wouldn't matter to us. I'd feel inspired by listening to those two fine gentlemen. Oh, I, I've I've met both. Well, I haven't met Swiss Tony, obviously, but I've met the person responsible. I, I had the pleasure of doing a panel show with Leslie Phillips. Oh wow! Who was just the most? It did that fantastic thing where you you, you initially you think, oh my god, this is going to be a disaster. This old chat, but as soon as the camera on just flurried and told us some of the best most unrepeatable stories you can imagine <laughs> about life in the comedy film world in the 1960s. He was amazing. And 
And of course, was happy to say uh, every opportunity, ding dong. Uh, just, <laughs> and, and just to hear Leslie Phillips say ding dong was just oh, it's a masterclass. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The I'm for the